Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 109. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex and I am your host and stock storyteller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Stock Stories is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And how do we do that? Well, we do that primarily through studying case studies of real companies, companies that are out there right now. Uh, selling products and services. By looking at what they do, we can figure out what makes them great investments, what makes them great companies. And then when the time is right, we can buy shares of them and benefit from their success. The other part of the show is mental models. What are the philosophical underpinnings of our thought processes? Why do we make the decisions we make? And this applies to not just investing, but so many areas of life. And I think it's so important because the way that we think, it influences everything. It influences the entire course of our lives and how we're able to impact others on this planet and impact our own lives. So mental models are critical for understanding how the world works, for understanding how we work as investors. So I I like to talk about those things too. So thank you again for joining me. This is Alex. And you know what? Today, we're going to actually talk about a mental model. So without further ado, let's get into the mental model of irreducibility. All right, so the mental model is irreducibility. The basic idea of this mental model is that processes or products can only be simplified to a certain point. Once they've been brought down to a basic level, they cannot be broken down further and achieve the same results or take the same form. So for example, think of an airplane. Right? You can design an airplane with many different types of wings or with multiple propellers or engines, but you need at least one wing and you need at least one engine in order for it to actually qualify and function as an airplane. Right? There are airplanes that exist out there that only have one engine. There are airplanes that exist out there that have a single wing instead of multiple wings. And... You need at least that because the basic aerodynamic principles of lift and the basic principles of how an airfoil works, you need you need that kind of a shape to actually put something in the sky. And then you need some sort of a power source, hence the engine, in order to coordinate with that in order for the plane to actually fly. So... You can reduce a plane down to its most basic parts, even though it's a very complex machine. But you need a wing and you need an engine. You have to have it. 
Another example is you can bake a cake with many ingredients, but without actually applying heat to the mixture with an oven, you'll never end up with a finished product. You can get the eggs out, you can get the flour out, the sugar, you can have all that stuff ready, mixed up, but if you don't actually apply heat to it over a period of time, it'll never become the cake that you want it to be. Due to the chemical processes at work, you're limited by this key step in the process, right? So more generally, cooking requires, at a minimum, certain products and processes in order to make something that's considered finished, edible, and tasty. You can't, likewise, you can't just skip the the eggs in your cake recipe. It just won't work. Things won't stick together. So you can reduce things down to their simplest form, but no further. So in the cake example, maybe you have a recipe for this really fancy cake that calls for all sorts of icing and, and special special layering and certain type of frosting and all, all sorts of little gourmet ingredients, maybe some spices you throw in there. I don't know. Who knows? And at the end of the day, you can remove all of those things, but as long as you have flour and you have eggs and water and you have those basic ingredients and you apply heat to it, you're still going to get something that resembles a cake. So you can only reduce things to their simplest form. Another example is cars. So cars have many features, but without a chassis and without wheels, you really can't define them as a car. So that's just another example that I think is pretty easy to relate to is you can break things down to a simple form, but you can't really go further. So let's apply this idea to the investing world right now. So what are the products and what are the processes that can't be reduced beyond a certain point in order to achieve successful investing results? So let's talk about the actual process. I thought it'd be fun if we talk about the process of buying shares of stock. What actually needs to happen? So I I think a lot of people skip over this, like skip over the mechanics of how do you actually do it. And for a lot of beginners out there, I know it's very confusing (laughs) when people say buy shares of stock. They're like, okay, uh, I just click a button and and I get the stock, right? Well, it's not quite so simple. There's still a series of things that have to happen in order for you to exchange cash for shares in your portfolio. Now, if you're investing, say at work through a 401k or you're investing in an IRA, maybe you have things set up on autopilot, you don't even think about how it happens. You just know that a portion of your check goes into buying shares of some fund every couple weeks. And you just know that your account value grows over time, right? I think that's what a lot of people, uh, a lot of people experience. They don't, they just don't really think about the mechanics of how it happens. But it's really important to understand exactly how shares end up in your portfolio because it's a very vital process to you and I actually building wealth, right? If we're going to actually grow the, grow these assets in our accounts and be successful investors, it really behooves us to understand what are the actual steps to that happening because then we can analyze and help reduce risks in our own lives by tweaking the variables as much as humanly possible to make sure that we are getting the best service from the best broker. We are, 
we are doing everything in our power to improve our chances of executing the way that we intend. And you'll understand a little bit more what I mean as we get into these steps. So there's a few steps. So say you want to buy shares of stock. What do you have to do? So there are several steps. Step number one, you have to identify which stock you want to buy. I mean, this is obvious, right? You have to know what you want to purchase. Step number two, understand and agree on the price you want to buy the stock at. Okay. So it's not just, hey, I want to buy shares of Amazon or or shares of ExxonMobil. Some people out there, I hope there's not that many people out there that do this, but I'm sure there are people actually out there that do this, is they'll find a stock that they like or company they like, and they'll just blindly buy shares of it without even thinking about the price, not even for one moment. And (laughs) that's a bad idea. Uh, unless you're doing a dollar cost averaging type of approach or something like that. But as a thoughtful investor, you know how much I care about the price of a stock. That's really critical because that determines your future return in many ways. So you have to understand the stock you want to buy. You have to agree on the price you want to buy the stock at. So, okay. So shares of XYZ stock and let's say it's Starbucks. So shares of uh, Starbucks, let's say you look at the ticker symbol, which is SBUX. So, okay, I'm going to buy SBUX and I'm going to buy it at, I'll make up a number, $50 a share. Okay. So I got the ticker symbol. I know the price that I want. Step number three, understand and agree on the number of shares you want to buy. Okay. How much money are you willing to put on the table? And this comes into like portfolio management. How big of a position size do you want? Are you, are you trying to go all in right now? Do you want to just nibble at it and see what happens? This all depends on you, right? This is your portfolio and your decision. So think about how many shares you want. So you identify the stock, you know what price you want it at, you know, you know how many shares you want. Step number four, have an existing brokerage account available to purchase shares. So if you're listening to this and say you want to buy shares of stock, but you don't have a brokerage account, you can't do anything. (laughs) So it's really important to have that ready in advance of when you think you're going to make your purchasing decision, because that's the mechanism for you to access the market. So make sure you have a brokerage account available with a Charles Schwab or an E-Trade or a Vanguard or whoever and make sure that that account is open, open and ready. Step number five, have the money ready in cash sitting in your brokerage account. You can't buy the stock without having the cash there. So that's really important. Step number six, place an order for the shares based on steps two and three. Okay, so you have your brokerage account, you have the money there, you know the stock you wanna buy, you know the price you wanna buy it at, you know how many shares you wanna purchase. Okay, you place the order. That's not the end of the process though. Step seven, the broker executes the order by looking for someone who can sell their shares at a price that's very close to your buying price. This is called the bid and the ask. 
So the ask is the price at which a broker is willing to sell a stock to you. And the bid is the price at which the broker is, is willing to have you buy a stock from them. Or uh, I said that wrong. So <laughs> forgive me. So ask is is the price that you can the broker is willing to buy from you at. So you're selling the shares. That's the ask. The bid is the price at which the broker is willing to sell shares to you. So that's when you're purchasing. And if you'll notice in your broker, uh, in your brokerage account, you'll notice that the bid price and the ask price are slightly different. Now, you may wonder why this is. Well, the thing is, even though we live in a world now where regular stock transactions are free, which is amazing, when you purchase or sell shares of stock, the broker actually, they'll take that spread. It's called a bid-ask spread. And that's one of the primary ways that brokers make money is they're saying, hey, well, I'm willing to play matchmaker. Even though in the stock market, the price of Exxon is $50 a share right now, you're, you want to buy it. So I'll let you buy it at uh at $49.98, but I'm going, in order to give it to you, I'm going to take shares from someone uh, who's selling it at $50 and three cents. Yeah. Or, or something like that. Or let's, let's flip the numbers around. Cause they're, the buyer would actually, um, I think pay a premium, whereas the seller would, would get the lower price. So the broker would keep the difference. That's the whole point. So the broker would keep the difference. That's called a bid-ask spread. So that's the broker executing the order. They're looking for someone who they can match with your desired price and your desired number of shares. Number eight, this is the last step. The broker takes the money from your account and they give slightly less money to the seller generating the spread. And then they take the shares from the seller's account and assign them to your account. Okay, those are the eight steps. I'll repeat them really quickly. One, identify the stock you want to buy. Two, understand and agree on the price you want to buy the stock at. Three, understand and agree on the number of shares you want to buy. Four, have an existing brokerage account available to purchase shares. Five, have the money ready in cash sitting in your brokerage account. Six, place an order for the shares based on steps two and three. Seven, the broker executes the order by looking for someone who can sell their shares at a price very close to your buying price. And eight, the broker then takes the money from your account. They give slightly less money to the seller, generating a spread for themselves. And then they take the shares from the seller's account and assign them to your account. So eight set process. What do you notice about this process? What do you... What sorts of things do you notice? Well, for me, I noticed that for the most part, it's a serial process. It's serial in nature. There's no like parallel processes going on. Everything has to occur one step after the other. The first three steps, okay, maybe they can be done simultaneously. If you're an experienced investor and you're already sure of what you're doing, you can say, okay, I already know I want the stock. I know what price I want and I know how many shares I want. Boom, boom, boom. That's very quick. Um, and then if, if you already have the existing broker's account available and you already have the cash ready, you can make a decision very quickly, get into a stock very quickly, get out of a stock very quickly. 
And the broker usually executes very quickly. So this entire process can happen very fast, but that doesn't change the fact that it has to happen in this order. So here are some things that tie it back to the mental model. So irreducibility. What can we, what steps can, could we remove from this process? Well, I mean, technically we could remove the step of knowing, uh, well, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we can remove any of the steps because you really have to know what stock you want to buy. You have to know the price. You have to know the shares. All these things must be known in order for the broker to execute. And then in order for the broker to execute, there has to be a seller or a buyer on the other side of the transaction. And it has to be available. The shares have to be available. So you can't buy shares without a broker of some kind. You can't buy shares without having ready money in the account. You can't buy shares unless the broker finds a matching seller or buyer on the other side of the transaction. And one of the most important points I want to linger on here is the point about having ready money in the account. This is really important. Let's say that you did all the work up front of opening your broker's accounts, you know, supplying the necessary biographical information in order to do that. You... You've identified what stock you want to buy. You've done the research and analysis. You know the price you want to get the stock at. You're so excited because the market's crashing and, and you're just ready to pick up some more shares of that one stock that you're certain is going to be a big winner for you. And then you go to execute and you say, oh, I don't have any money in my brokerage account. Okay, let me transfer some money from my bank account to my brokerage account so I can buy these shares. Let me just do this real quick. Well, that process might take a couple of business days, depending on your broker. And you know what? You might have just missed an opportunity in the market because you can't actually purchase the shares or sell the shares, or sorry, purchase the shares that you want to in that moment because you don't have the cash in your broker's account yet. It's not an instantaneous process. So remember, be ready to strike when the iron is hot. And that means having your brokerage account funded and ready to go. So that's, I think, a really important point. So all these steps are necessary to the overall process of exchanging your shares in a company. You can't really reduce the process beyond that. So what are the lessons that we can learn from this? The first thing is that you have to know what shares you want to buy at what price and on what terms. Very important. Set up your broker's account ahead of time and fund your broker's account ahead of time. Be ready. Understand that this is a serial process. You can't reduce the process any further. So make sure that you are maximizing the variables within your control. We don't, you and I don't have control over what our broker does, but we do have control over our ability to fund our account, our ability to make the right decision as to what we want our broker broker to execute on for us. So that's very important. Act with decisiveness when an opportunity presents itself so your broker can execute. And maybe part of that, a little caveat is make sure you have companies that have a high enough trading volume. And that helps a lot with getting your order filled. So this is the importance of liquidity in the market. If you're trading Apple stock, Apple is one of the most widely traded companies in the entire world. And so you're probably not going to have that hard a time getting it in that Apple. But if you're trying to trade some micro cap penny stock, well, 
it might be really hard to get in or out of that stock, especially without moving the price if you're trying to place a big order. So that's important. Now, one other thing I thought of is the only other way to simplify this process is if you cut out the middleman and you purchase shares directly from the seller, aka the company. So for example, there's things called direct stock purchase programs. And these are programs run by companies like Coca-Cola or ExxonMobil. Now, even, even here, there's an intermediary company like ComputerShare that facilitates the transaction. But it's a little bit simpler because you're purchasing shares directly from the company itself. You're not buying them out there on the open market. The, the company wants to incentivize long-term shareholders so they have a a direct stock purchase program. A lot of the bigger companies offer these. So that's somewhat of a simpler way to go about this. But even so, you, you still, a lot of same principles apply. You can't reduce the process that much. And yeah, I mean, think about before the stock market became a formalized system. Business people, they used to literally trade shares and cash on Wall Street under the Buttonwood tree right? It was a system of buying and selling in its simplest form. So think about the processes in your investing life and in life in general and that that apply to you. And think about what are the steps required to make this happen? How does this process actually work? Maybe it's not a linear process like the one that we just described, that I just described here. Maybe it's a, a cycle. Maybe you have parallel processes running, but try to map that out and understand who the different players are and what the different components are of the different processes in your life. And then think, okay, how can I make this more efficient? How can I reduce things to their simplest form? But remember that past a certain point, you have the principle of irreducibility and you can't reduce things further without fundamentally modifying the outcome of the process. So I'll leave you with that today. Thank you so much for listening to another Mental Model episode. My name is Alex. I am your stock storyteller, your host. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. If you want to reach out to me, I love hearing from you. Alex at StockStoriesPodcast.com. That's Alex at StockStoriesPodcast.com. Or hit me up on Instagram at StockStoryteller. And yeah, let me know what your thoughts are. If you have any ideas, suggestions, if I've said anything that resonated with you, I would love to know about it. So thank you so much in advance for that. And I will see you next week. presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.